Welcome to Music History Monday for January 31st, 2022. My name is Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is With a Little Help from His Friends. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the birth on January 31st, 1797, 225 years ago today, of Franz Peter Schubert in Vienna. He died in that city 31 years, 9 months, and 19 days later, on November 19, 1828. Franz Schubert is no stranger to Music History Monday. However, we could not let his birthday pass without a post. No way, no how. Our angle today will be to focus on those friends without whom Schubert the man and the composer could not have survived. Schubert, image and reality. The short, pudgy Schubert was called by his friends Schwammerl, which means little mushroom. The fully grown Schubert was 1.57 meters tall, about five foot one. And as his portraits attest, he never lost his cherubic appearance. The following description of the adult Schubert was written by his friend Anselm Hutenbrenner. Quote, Schubert's outward appearance was anything but striking. He was short of stature, with a full round face, and was rather stout. His forehead was very beautifully domed. Because of his short sight, he always wore spectacles, which he did not take off, even during sleep. Dress was a thing in which he took no interest whatsoever. Consequently, he disliked going out into smart society. He disliked bowing and scraping and listening to flattering talk about himself. He found downright nauseating." Unquote. Writing in the book, Schubert's Vienna, Yale University Press, 1997, the musicologist Ernst Hilmar, the former director of the international Franz Schubert Institute in Vienna, objects to what he perceives of as the traditional image of Franz Schubert. Quote, the image of the composer Schubert portrayed in most monographs is oversimplified and simply false. Schubert is presented as a chubby, shy, withdrawn genius, unappreciated and unsupported by society, who dashed off masterworks without any effort. There is some truth to this image, but precisely what is false?" Unquote. Yeah, we would thank Ernst Hilmer for asking the question regarding precisely what is false about his description of Schubert. It would have been nice if he had bothered answering his own question, which he does not. Instead, in the grand tradition of intellectual dismissal, he merely claims that the traditional image of Schubert is oversimplified. Since Herr Hilmer 
does not answer his own question, we will do it for him. Hilmer writes that, quote, Schubert is presented as a chubby, shy, withdrawn genius, unquote. Uh, no falsehoods here. This is absolutely accurate. Hilmer continues, quote, Schubert was unappreciated and unsupported by society, a composer who dashed off masterworks without any effort. Unquote. This statement is not so much false as it is lacking in nuance. Schubert did indeed dash off masterworks without any apparent effort. Regarding his own work habits, Schubert wrote, quote, I work every morning. When I have finished one piece, I begin another, unquote. To which we would add, and another, and another, and another. As to whether Schubert was unappreciated and unsupported by society, ah, well, if we properly define the word society as the aggregate of people living together in a community, then the statement is in fact accurate. Schubert was generally unappreciated and certainly unsupported by the greater Viennese society. However, that doesn't mean that Schubert was entirely unappreciated as a composer. Here's the nuance part. By the end of his life, in 1828, Schubert was indeed locally known for his smaller works, for his songs, and for his piano, chamber, and choral music. However, we would observe that for a composer of Schubert's range and ability, being known for his smaller works wasn't even close to being good enough. He composed nine finished and unfinished symphonies. Not a single one was published or publicly performed in his lifetime. He composed 17 operas, none of which was published and only two of which were staged briefly and poorly in his lifetime, both in 1820. For our information, Schubert's operas occupy more space in the complete edition of his works than any other vocal or instrumental genre. It's a testament to how hard and long he worked on them without garnering any success. Schubert's other large-scale works, orchestral overtures, masses, oratorios, and the like, also went unpublished and unperformed. Staging such large-scale works is expensive, and without a reputation and or a number of important patrons with deep pockets, performances and publication of such works was simply out of the question. Nevertheless, Schubert was supported and celebrated by a very special subset of Viennese musical society, and that would be his friends, the people who affectionately called him Little Mushroom. Schubert's Friends Franz Schubert lived out his short life on the fringes of Viennese society. Schubert biographer Christopher Gibb rightly points out that he was a nonconformist from head to toe, that he, quote, disdained many aspects of traditional bourgeois life, particularly regular employment, institutional religion, conformist thinking, and marriage. Freedom, political, personal, professional, and creative 
was extremely important to the way Schubert sought to live his life." Unquote. Schubert never married, went steady, joined the local Rotary Club, played bocce, rode a horse, went to church, or became a mason. Rather, he spent almost all of his non-composing time in the company of male friends and his brother, with whom he lived, socialized, drank, smoked tobacco and likely opium, whored, and on whom he was completely dependent for his emotional and financial support. Some contemporary writers would have us think that Schubert was just like one of today's 20-something bachelors, marginally employed, perpetually broke, crashing on his friends' living room couches, hanging out in bars and getting wasted, talking through his arse about politics and religion, and taking what sexual pleasures could be had when and where they could be found. Please, let us have nothing to do with this Schubert as bachelor hipster image, because it has pretty much nothing to do with the real Franz Schubert. He was not marginally employed. He was a great composer who composed all morning, every morning. He roomed and socialized almost exclusively with men, straight and gay men, and never married. Not just because he was a bum or a nonconformist when it came to marriage, but because, as a homosexual, he simply preferred the company of men to women. There are still folks out there who refuse to accept and acknowledge Schubert's homosexuality, despite the overwhelming evidence that he was indeed gay. And so what if he was? Please. Schubert's friends recognized, as almost no one else did at the time, his genius, and they loved, protected, and provided for him. As an 11-year-old choir boy in the Imperial Choir, Schubert was already making friends that he would keep for the rest of his life. Among his greatest friends, was the lawyer and musician Anselm Hüttenbrenner, 1794-1868, the Viennese dramatist Eduard von Bauernfeldt, 1802-1890, the artist, writer, and district governor Josef Kenner, 1794-1868, the librettist, theater director, archivist, and lawyer Josef Sonnleithner, 1766-1835, the aristocrat Josef Freiherr von Spahn, 1788-1865. The baritone singer and composer Johann Michael Vogler, 1768-1840. The poet Johann Meerhofer, 1787-1836. The composer and musician Johann Baptist Jinger, 1793-1856 the mining engineer and cellist Sylvester Palmgartner, the painter Moritz von Schwindt, 1804-1871, and the poet, librettist, lithographer, and actor Franz von Schober, 1796-1882. Let us talk about this Franz von Schober. For better and worse, Franz von Schober was Schubert's greatest friend. He was everything Schubert was not. Tall, wealthy, charismatic, 
and utterly unprincipled and undisciplined. To his credit, von Schober was Schubert's roommate, confidant, and impresario, organizing many of the private performance parties that came to be known as Schubertiads. Von Schober was also a female impersonating homosexual who was blamed by Schubert's other friends for leading their little Franz down the path to perdition. Writing after Schubert's death, Josef Kenner observed, quote, Anyone who knew Schubert knows how he was made of two natures foreign to each other, how powerfully the craving for pleasure dragged his soul into the sewer of moral degradation, and how highly he valued the utterances of friends he respected. Schubert attracted, among others, a seductively amiable young man who won a lasting and pernicious influence over Schubert. By Schubert's seducer, I mean Franz von Schober. Under the guise of the most amiable sociability, there reigned in this whole von Schober family a deep moral depravity. He was willing to tolerate no religion, no morals, no restraint." Unquote. It was sometime during the late summer of 1822 that the 25-year-old Schubert contracted syphilis from a prostitute during a nocturnal pleasure jaunt with Franz von Schober, almost certainly a male prostitute and, as the current speculation goes, likely an underage male prostitute. Bathed in slime. Franz Schubert might have looked like a cherub, but no innocent was he. Over and over again, his friends described his binary nature, one that plumbed the highest of artistic heights and the other the very lowest of sensual and moral depths. Josef Kenner, who had attended seminary and university with Schubert, wrote that, quote, his body, strong as it was, succumbed to the cleavage in his souls, as I would put it, of which one pressed heavenwards and the other bathed in slime." Unquote. Another friend, Wilhelm von Chesey, wrote that, quote, Unfortunately, Schubert, with his liking of the pleasures of life, had strayed onto those wrong paths which generally admit no return, at least no healthy one. Unquote. Even before he came down with syphilis, comments were being made about Schubert's dangerous and even self-destructive behavior. Having been diagnosed with syphilis, those dangerous and self-destructive behaviors went into hyperdrive. Elizabeth Norman McKay, whose biography of Schubert is a principal English language source, Oxford University Press, 1996, claims that Schubert suffered from cyclothemia, a mild form of manic depression, which was exacerbated to the nines by his diagnosis of syphilis. Writes Christopher Gibb, quote, McKay's proposal addresses, if not completely answers, too many questions to be quickly dismissed. Schubert's excessive drinking is often not showing up for scheduled gatherings, both formal and informal, or abruptly disappearing from them. 
His unkempt physical appearance, his waves of phenomenal productivity contrasting with periods of utter inactivity. All this might be explained by what would today be diagnosed as depression." Unquote. And behave poorly? The little mushroom often did. The literature is filled with stories of the intoxicated Schubert passing out at parties and at concerts, of his pleasure in smashing crockery and glassware while under the influence of his suddenly flying into violent rages. But, miraculously and gratefully, Schubert's friends put up with it all. About such episodes, Schubert's bud, Josef Sonleithner wrote, quote, This really rather ungrateful behavior on Schubert's part did not estrange him from us in any way. We regretted his weakness, but continued to promote the performance and furtherance of his works." Unquote. Perhaps the single greatest promotion of Schubert's music perpetrated by his friends was the benefit concert they arranged for Schubert, which was held on March 26, 1828. March 26, 1828 was an important date in the history of music and for Schubert. As far as the history of music, it was the first anniversary of Beethoven's death. It was as well, quite fortuitously, the single greatest day in Schubert's musical career, the day of his triumphant benefit concert at the old Musikverein in Vienna's Tuchlauben. It was a bittersweet triumph in retrospect, given that Schubert died less than eight months later, on November 19, 1828. In Schubert's day, the best way to present new music to the public and, at the same time, make some real money was by producing a special kind of concert called an academy. An academy was a benefit concert in which the beneficiary was the musician or composer who produced it. A theater would be made available to that musician or composer free of charge. The actual concert expenses, paying the musicians, printing the written programs, paying for the publicity, etc., would be borne by the musician or composer producing the concert, and the profits, if profits there were, were pocketed by the producing musician-slash-composer. There was always a financial risk involved. For example, Beethoven's Academy of April 2, 1800, which saw the premiere of his Symphony No. 1, was a financial success. His Academy of December 22, 1808, which saw, among other premieres, that of his Symphonies Nos. 5 and 6, was a success as well. Conversely, Beethoven's Academy of May 7, 1824, which saw the premiere of his Symphony No. 9, was something of a financial disaster. Schubert's friends had been after him for years to produce an academy. The key was getting the use of a high-profile theater in which to present the concert. For this, the person producing the concert had to have a reputation and connections. Schubert didn't feel that his reputation was sufficient until early 1828 to acquire a theater, 
Although, had it not been for the encouragement and connections of his friends, he would likely never have sought out the use of a theater. Likewise, since he never felt confident about putting himself before the general public, Schubert's Academy was to be a private concert by invitation only. Schubert drew up the most varied program he could, one that would feature as many of his performing friends as possible, all of whom took part in the performance pro bono. The concert featured mixed fare, songs, chamber music, and a single piece for chorus. Writes Schubert biographer Elizabeth Norman McKay, quote, the concert was well attended by an enthusiastic audience which included Schubert's friends, acquaintances, and admirers, unquote. The Viennese press was not in attendance. The excuse given for their absence was the hubbub caused by the arrival in Vienna of the storied Italian violinist Niccolo Paganini, who played his first concert in Vienna just three days later, on March 30th. Please, let's just tell it like it was. The local press didn't show up because they simply weren't interested in Schubert or his music. Consequently, the only accounts we have of the concert are from Schubert's friends and admirers. And while no one can consider these comments to be unbiased, they do provide us a sense of the long incoming triumph Schubert experienced that evening. The young Marie von Prato Bavera, the sister-in-law of Schubert's first biographer, Heinrich von Helborn, wrote, quote, Everyone was lost in a frenzy of admiration and rapture. There was clapping and foot stomping, unquote. Schubert's close friend, Joseph von Spahn, wrote, quote, It was only the urging of his friends and the inadequacy of his income that finally induced him to give a concert in his own benefit, which Vogel, Tietze, and Fraulein Freilich enriched by the beauty of their excellent singing and Bachlet by his excellent pianoforte playing. The exceptional responsiveness of the packed audience matched the rare enjoyment of this evening, which will certainly remain unforgettable to those present." Unquote. Writing in his memoirs, nearly 30 years later, Schubert's friend, Leopold von Sonnleithner, observed, quote, His friends advised him to give a concert, and this he decided to do. But since he was not at all the man to initiate anything of this kind himself, it was once more his friends who gladly and with affection arranged and managed the concert. The result was success in every way and provided Schubert with a considerable sum of money, unquote. That sum, Schubert's profit from the concert, was around 8,000 Austrian florins roughly $18,000 today. Schubert used the money to pay off his debts and to buy a piano. Unfortunately, it was, as it turned out, Schubert's one and only solid payday. Closing words from a friend. In 1858, 30 years after his death, 
Schubert's friend and staunch protector, Josef von Spahn, wrote this about Franz Schubert, the person. Quote, Schubert was an affectionate son and brother and a loyal friend. He was a kind, magnanimous, good man. May he rest in peace, and thanks be to him for having beautified the lives of his friends with his creations." Unquote. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.